This is your boy, Sean, joined by me, the man who pisses into the wind and shits where he eats, Steve OG. I don't do any of those things. Oh, hi. <laughs> Join us as we open the Extreme Wrestling Archive, ECW, When Worlds Collide. So this is like take two. Deuce. <laughs> People won't probably know that but the last time we did this we had a uh audio malfunction the producer's an asshole <laughs> he's a dipshit stupid polar there's there's two mistakes that the producer could have made one not hit record or two <laughs> have something check recording to, check to see if it was recording <laughs> and the producer did hit record but did not listen to recording so he completely ruined it but we're back on track. This time around, we're doing When Worlds Collide, which took place May 14th, 1994. There was 1,558 people in attendance, which I believe is a record. And also a few months before O.J. Simpson killed his wife. <laughs> Allegedly. And Ron Goldman. Allegedly. He's been... He was... No, he wasn't proven innocent. He was proven not guilty, correct? And proven guilty later on. In civil court. Right. And he had to pay money. Right. Do you think he did it? Yeah. <laughs> Without even hesitation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he he just got released on parole, mm, right? Not for that, though. Yeah, for those robberies. For stealing his own stuff. And All right. Beating a guy. So, going into this show... Who, do you remember who the champs are? Do you remember anything about this? I remember it's, nothing. It's been, a, it's been a minute since we got together. First of all, TV champ. Last pay-per-view, it was Sabu. He lost the title to Taz on March 6th, but that was aired the 15th. Then the Taz Maniac lost that title to J.T. Smith, also on March 6th. Was 1994 a leap year? I don't know. You should Google that. I was just curious. Where it fell. <laughs> How many days after the 28th of February did uh, it fall? It was either 7 or 6. Yeah. That's right. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tasmania got, won the title and lost it on the same day. It was aired the 22nd, though, so it would have been the following week on television. If you win it and then lose it on the same day, how does that show up on Wikipedia? As a zero day title reign. Okay. <laughs> then JT Smith lost it to the Pitbull on April 16th, who in turn, the Pitbull lost it to Mikey Whipwreck on May 13th, which would have been the day prior to this, but it wasn't aired until the 17th. I'm going to need a flowchart for all of that. Yeah. Because <laughs> somehow we started on, on like the 3rd of March and then we ended on like the 1st of March. I think it was like, <laughs> We went backwards. We had an alternate March 1994. We went to like the 17th and then came back. I don't know like what. <laughs> we went from March to May. So it was a leap year. Yeah, it must have been. Okay. Currently, Mikey Whipwreck is your ECW TV champion. Tag champions. Last pay-per-view was no one. If you remember, there was a controversy with the Bruise Brothers versus Taz and Sullivan, which had ended in a double pin, and then the public enemy stole the belts. So they had a rematch, which Taz and Sullivan won, making them the champions. And then they lost it to the public enemy on March 6th again. 
a lot of title changes on on March sixth. Shaq's birthday. You would have got. <laughs> is it really? I'm kind of impressed that you know that. He would have been a rookie in 1994. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. It's really weird that you're like Wikipedia. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was aired on the eighth, and that also had a screwy finish because um, the Bruce Brothers interfered, and then Rocko Rock pinned Kevin Sullivan. So Public Enemy is your tag champs currently. Then ECW heavyweight title. It's not the world heavyweight title just yet. It's just a heavyweight title because they're still technically part of the NWA, but they don't really mention it. Last pay-per-view, Terry Funk. He was the champion. But he lost that to Shane Douglas on the 26th of March in a match that was called Ultimate Jeopardy, which was kind of like a, a big card. Shane Douglas is your current champion. So Double Jeopardy. Excuse me, Ultimate Jeopardy on March 26th. That was a um, kind of a big card that really wasn't released on tape. It was more for paying people, like people that pay to go to the live shows, trying to build an audience. Like money? Like you pay money for entertainment? Yeah, you exchange notes of a certain value to enjoy entertainment. So, Ultimate Jeopardy was at Valley Forge, which is like a music hall, I think. I in, believe. In Pennsylvania? Isn't I it? believe um, it is a fort. Yeah, isn't that where like George Washington did something? I think he lost his virginity there. <laughs> <laughs> so, this, well, this was March 26th, which would have been about a couple weeks prior to this. A couple, uh, little rundown of that card was Crash the Terminator, if you remember him. You probably don't. He was in that barbed wire baseball match, bat match. He was the FMW World Heavyweight Champion. He's also Hugh Morris in WCW. Familiar. And WWF. He defeated the Pitbull. 911 defeated Don E. Allen. Blue Mask, who is actually just Ch- Chad Austin, in a buddy, in a blue mask. And Hack Myers. So he defeated three people. Uh, JT Smith. Defeated the Rock and Rebel for the TV title. Or, excuse me, he didn't defeat him for the TV title. The TV title was on the line, as J.T. Smith was the champion at the time. Rock and Rebel didn't hold that title. The Bruce Brothers defeated Bad Company. Tommy Cairo defeated the Sandman, who, if you'll remember, they were partners. Previous pay-per-view that we watched, or Supercard. So we'll get into them a little bit later. Snooka, your boy, no, defeated Dreamer in a cage. And then the final match, the Ultimate Jeopardy, was um, ECW's equivalent of War Games, which was big in WCW at the time. Two men start, and then other teammates come in at intervals. So one from one team joins, and then a couple minutes later, another one from the other team joins. So there's always a team with an advantage. Power play. Correct. Yes, very good. That's a reference from uh, hockey. Um, so in that match, it was four on four and each man had something on the line. It was Shane Douglas, Curtis Hughes, and the public enemy versus Terry Funk, Hawk, Taz, and Kevin Sullivan. It also had the stipulation that everyone gets to bring their own weapon of choice. So Douglas, what was on the line was for him was he had to shave his head if he was pinned. 
if Curtis Hughes was pinned or Mr. Hughes, Jason would have to spend five minutes in the cage with the opposing team. If the public enemy lose, they lose their titles and they have to leave ECW. If Terry Funk was pinned or lost, he had to he would lose his title. He was the ECW TV champion, or excuse me, the ECW heavyweight champion at the time. Hawk, if he was, if he lost, uh, he had to give up the Road Warrior name, which, you know, damn well, that's not happening. Taz and Sullivan, if either of them were pinned, they had to split up. So that ended up Douglas pinned Funk after pile driving him while suffocating him with a trash bag. Was it hefty? No. Just a little background of what's going on prior to this one. The When Worlds Collide. Um, a couple episodes back, I mentioned uh, that Paul Heyman was kind of just hanging out, biding his time, killing time with ECW because he was eventually going to work with Jim Crockett, who owned the NWA. Jim Crockett started this WWN, so Paul Heyman was kind of biding his time until that took off. So on February 27th of 1994, the World Wrestling Network, WWN, put on a show at the Manhattan Center which WWF used to run shows at. It's where they taped the original Raws, and then ECW would end up there. They filmed this in high-definition television in 1994. And they also made it internet broadcast ready in 1994. I didn't even know the internet existed until, like, 1999. There were, like, seven guys on it. Seven (laughs) people on the internet. Yeah, that's it. There was, like, eight web pages, and that was it. This, um... This card included, like, a lot of ECW talent, but it also included Cowboy Bob Orton and Jake Roberts, who Jake Roberts was kind of between WCW and WWF at the time. He uh, had quit WWF to go to WCW and then was there for about five months, maybe. He ended up back in the WWF in 95, 96. Bob Orton, um, he was kind of big in the 70s, 80s, way past his prime, getting old. That is Randy Orton's father. Father, correct. Biological. Although this production, or this card, was like light years ahead of everyone else with the production values, the concepts of the internet, like Paul Heyman and Crockett could kind of see where things were going. I don't even I really didn't even hear about high def television until two thousand and something, right? I didn't know that it existed in nineteen ninety four. I don't think we got the internet until nineteen ninety eight, or at least at my house. And it was dial up fucking AOL. <laughs> Crockett he did have those production value ideas that were kinda of taken off, however his his wrestling focus was still too far in the past for Paul Heyman. So you come in with like this hardcore wrestling of ECW, like Sabu, his aerial moves, and then the public enemy coming out to rap music, whatever. The hippity hop. Yeah. Crockett really couldn't understand that concept. And Heyman, he knew that's where uh, the future of wrestling was going. So they couldn't see eye to eye. So Heyman decided to stay with ECW while Crockett tried to take off this WWN, and as we'll see, that ECW kind of took off, and WWN went nowhere. 
So WWN ended up actually having like a slot on ESPN, I believe, like in a couple markets, but just because Crockett couldn't promote it and kind of wanted to stay old school with the changing times, it ended up just failing miserably. Paul Heyman kind of cut ties with Crockett, left him old and busted while Paul Heyman was new hotness. All right, so, once again, when worlds collide here. So we watch this. The first thing that comes up is the hardcore phone line. It's not a hotline. It's a phone line. What are your thoughts on that? I bet people call that. Do you think it was hot? No. So, so a phone line is just lukewarm news? Just regular. Run-of-the-mill. <laughs> you just chat. And ask them what they're doing. A, hot, a hotline is 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 uh, usually one one person that you can call, like the bad phone. <laughs> a phone line is just who's ever around. Like you can call it. anybody. So, it's a hardcore phone line. So anybody can call. Anybody can call. Anybody can anyone pick up? Yes. Okay. So. Like a tradition, like how traditional phones work. <laughs> a landline. It's a hardcore. Exactly how traditional phones work. <laughs> so, what you're saying is anyone that saw that could call this number on their phone, <laughs> and then anybody who heard the phone ring could answer it, and then they just start up a conversation, right? <laughs> okay. It would be like, "Oh, hello, Mrs. Smith. Is Don there?" <laughs> That's and I then mean. it was a a dollar ninety nine a minute, right? Okay. <laughs> All right. So first match we got Rock and Rebel with Jason versus Tommy Dreamer. We got Joey Styles on commentary. It's always good. On the way to the ring, Tommy Dreamer he grabs that crutch. If you remember that, like muscular dystrophy crutch, the ones that go behind your triceps. There for people that like Lady Gaga and her paparazzi video. I'm sorry, I don't know really know crutches that well. No, okay, I'm kind of a crutch connoisseur, if you will. See that? <laughs> so he grabs it, but then he just hands it back to the fan. So it's kind of dumb. Okay. Uh, Jason, he's got some uh, band aids on his cheek, and his wrist is a little tape. A couple shows previously to this, he was kind of berating the Tasmaniac, and he ended up calling him a monkey boy. And the Tasmaniac proceeded to bite his face. Hmm. Much like that guy that was on bath salts. Which, I don't know if Again, he... should, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, like, shouldn't you get, um... Attempted murder. So he's got the band-aids on his cheek, the taped wrist. That's all courtesy of the Tasmaniac. He started, like, frothing at the mouth, too. Alright, so Dreamer starts off, he, uh, slaps the rebel across the face. Hard. He does some, like, weird rolling somersault kick. Looked kind of dumb. Completely missed it. Uh, he hits a suplex and then a dragon sleeper. The emo ref, our buddy that we loved, um, he says it's not a choke. Clearly. A lot of rest holds by Dreamer. Jason throws a right hand at a Dreamer, causing him to chase Jason around, only to be cut off by the rebel. Throws him back in the ring. And then Dreamer hits a textbook low blow. Picture perfect. Followed by a DDT. But then goes to the top. Misses a splash. And then 
Rebel does a leg drop to the absolute lowest part of the abdomen, which would be the waist. <laughs> what's uh, what's from your waist to your taint? That's your pubic area. I believe it's just uh, that flat area covered with hair. <laughs> it's your trunk. <laughs> Rock and Rebel hits a pretty nice looking swinging neck breaker, but only gets a one count. Then he hits a spine buster, and it looks like he hurts himself doing that. And Jason tells the Rebel not to pin Dreamer, which of course backfires on him. And then Dreamer pins the Rock and Rebel after the Luthes press. Rock and Rebel, Jason, they almost come to blows after this, but as most problems in life are solved or resolved, is uh, Jason shows them, gives them a little bit of money, which that's always been a good way to resolve problems for me is just handing over money, usually in the court of law. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that match. What did you think about the opening Rock and Rebel versus Tommy Dreamer with Jason? Do you remember it? I do. Bits and pieces. I know bits and pieces. Right there. I remember that when he started with a slap, you were like, oh, this is going to be bad. And then it was kind of all like around. Like, they moved around a little bit. It was fast paced. And then I got bored. <laughs> Pretty quick. At least it wasn't too long. Right. We'll get to longer matches later. I guess it's a okay opening match. You don't want to start off with a big bang. Right. You want to build. Build. So. Like uh, Stairway to Heaven. All right. Next up. We have the ECW TV title match, which is Mikey Ripwreck, who is the current champion, versus 911 with Paul E. Dangerously. So, Mikey Ripwreck, it's the first time we saw him. He was originally introduced as Mr. Wellbody. Alright, so Mikey Ripwreck, aka John Watson, uh, he was actually a, just set up the ring, he was part of the ring crew. And then they would kind of test out the ring after they set it up. And Joey Styles watched them and told Paulie about it. And Paulie was interested and actually got him trained by Mick Foley. So he made his debut on February 1st, which would have been like two months prior to this. So he like literally has no history. But he'll become a well-known fixture here in at ECW. 911, it's aka Alfred Pullen. He was trained by Larry Sharp and he debuted in 1990. He pretty much be, would become a fan favorite in ECW. They would all start chanting 911, 911, and then he'd just come out and choke slam people. And that was it. So, nice, easy job. <laughs> he was so popular, actually, he went on to be PWI's 1994 Rookie of the Year. The Roy. But he was never really pushed as a legitimate wrestler because he was pretty bad, other than the Joe Slam. Very limited. He was an illegitimate wrestler. Correct. <laughs> Fans really behind uh, Mikey Whitbrick. They love this boy, Mr. Wellbody. Styles, he uh, goes through the lengthy lineage of the ECW TV title and all the greats that have held it, which I just told you the entire lineage. Right. <laughs> All five of them. So, nine one one starts with a choke into a choke slam in the first ten seconds of the match. All choke slams start as chokes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, the, the difference between the two is the ending. Yeah, not one the... ends in the conclusion of choking. The other ends 
in the conclusion of choking by way of slamming. <laughs> so it's not so much the start. It's, it's the, the finish. It's the finish. <laughs> okay. He chokeslams him, does not cover. Then 911 calls for another, which he hits, doesn't cover again. And then 911 chokeslams Mikey Whipwreck for a third time, along with the ref. So both at once. I believe they call that a double chokeslam. Correct. So this causes 911 to be disqualified. Paul E. Then, DQ'd, as they say. Yeah. Paul E. tells 911 to chokeslam the ref again, and 911 obliges. He does it a third time, which was actually kind of gross. <laughs> he, like, crumpled in a in a pile there. And then Whipwreck retains the TV title via disqualification. And it's kind of funny because they announce him as the winner as he's, like, humped over in a, in a heap of bones. <laughs> So it's just funny them and just a saying, bone bag, yeah, <laughs> bag of bones, it's sack of bones, just laying in there with the title. So that's that was kind of funny. What do you think of this match or match? Quotation marks. Joke slams are violent. Yeah. So I. You, it's my PSA. You can't. It's hard to go wrong with joke slam, and it looks nasty. But nine one one has nothing else. I don't even think he can talk on the mic. I was kind of like looking up this guy nine one one, and apparently he's got like a shitload of kids, like seven or nine or something. Not eight. No, it was an odd number. I remember that. Seven or nine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts on that? It was an odd number of children, less than eleven, but greater than five. <laughs> I know for a fact. Greater than five, less than 11. <laughs> Somewhere with that. There was a straight... Any other thoughts on 911 and Mikey Whipwreck? I just think he's a terrible man. Which one? 911. Oh, do you like Mikey Whipwreck? I like it. But they make it like, oh, you gotta call 911, and then it comes out. Do you think it's just a lazy name? I think it, I think it, it could be, uh, be dangerous. It's like, you know, you'll fire in a movie theater. Shouldn't yell nine one one. What if he came out and just started? What if there was somebody? What if there was somebody like having a seizure in the audience? Nine one one, and then like they call that guy, <laughs> and he comes out and just choke slams. <laughs> he calls that guy. It's like... <laughs> it's, he comes out and just choke slams somebody having a seizure. Yeah, <laughs> and then just leaves. Right. That's not good. That's, that's not, not a, good. That's not quality care. No, that is not a good first responder to come no. and. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> They, should, they could have called him 411. Ooh, I come in with the info. Right. Yeah, they call him. All right, next up, we got Kevin Sullivan with Woman versus woman. Jimmy Snuka. Oh, boy. With Hunter Q. Robbins. I, I, I already hated this match before that even happened because that guy. <laughs> that guy. I won't even say his name because he's that guy. Okay. You just want to refer to him as that guy? I will, yes. Okay. I will refer to him as that guy. To start off, Joey Styles says this match will be an all-time classic. What are your thoughts on that? I feel that's redundant. Yeah? If you say classic. Just a classic? If you say, if you say classic, that's good enough. They quickly brawl to the outside. Um, not much going on. Sul Sullivan starts tossing chairs at that guy. Then goes to town on him with a skillet. More chair tossing. Sullivan, he really doesn't uh, swing his chairs. He just throws them at you. Right. So I feel like that would be at the Jobber convention. 
chair, not tossing chairs, but having chairs tossed at you. Right. He would be great, like, looking, like, uh, three timeouts in a basketball game, throwing t-shirts and stands, <laughs> yeah. but with chairs. Yeah, he, would, he, he wouldn't need the gun. Right. That shoots t-shirts out. He I would believe just... they call it a t-shirt gun. Oh, really? Oh, I thought it had some intricate... Not to be confused with a hot dog gun. Or a potato gun. Right. There's a hot dog gun? Yeah, they have a hot dog gun at the, uh, at the baseball. It shoots hot dogs? Yeah. That's cool as hell. Like, like cooked wieners? Wrapped in foil on a bun. Hot dog on bun. And it shoots it at a fan. <laughs> yeah. That sounds dangerous. Why? I don't know. It just, it, <laughs> I feel like the hot dog wouldn't stay intact. Well, it's wrapped in foil. Oh, okay. In a hot foil container. Okay. So after the chair tossing, Sullivan legitimately hammers Snooka in the balls with the rest of the timekeeper's hammer. Mm-hmm. So Snooka, oh, excuse me, that guy was just laying there fucking spread eagle waiting to get hit in the balls. So Sullivan. Obliged. Yep. Sullivan, he hits some of your favorite judo chops. I do I know, I I do like a disc good judo chop. Yeah. So not if you get to use with kung fu chops or taibo chops. All different. Taibo has chops. Yeah. Uh, what about lamb chops? Hmm? Lamb chops? The puppet? Yeah. Or the... you get judo chops with the puppet? <laughs> 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 They finally do make it back into the ring, but it's just for a minute. As Sullivan jumps that guy, or excuse me, dumps that guy out and hits him with the muscular dystrophy crutch that was floating around in the audience multiple times. So fans, they have a bunch of weapons. There was two different crutches. There was a wrench. I saw some kind of twine, I think, hanging from Snooka. So... Very twine. Yeah, I think it was twine. Could have been string or yarn, but I feel like twine is more durable. Maybe tinsel? No. No. Twine is more durable. So that guy finally gets some uh, uh, offense, which uh, he hits a pretty devastating headbutt. As you know, he's foreign, so his headbutts hurt worse. More judo chops, and then the Sandman comes out and takes woman. To the back with him. Styles says there are rumors that woman signed the Sandman. So I'm wondering if you call that ECW phone line, if they'll tell you about that. Or would you have to call a hotline to get that kind of information? Probably a hotline. A hot, not a phone line? No, because you don't know who's going to answer. That's true. Okay, so that guy pins Sullivan after Hunter Q. Robbins trips him. So, presumably, Sullivan was distracted by what was going on outside. His manager woman left with the Sandman. So, they're heading to the back. That guy in Hunter Q. Robbins, that is. And Sullivan grabs Hunter Q. by the lapels and proceeds to throw him back into the ring. And this is where he hits him so hard in the balls with his cane. Mm. It was excruciating to watch. He does it again. And then pulls his pants down. And then hits him again. <laughs> and hits him a third and time. Again. And again. And, and again. again. And it is the most brutal fucking ball attack I've ever witnessed in was, my life. It was overly aggressive. Yeah. Like, it was a fucking ball snuff film. Sullivan does his trademark double stomp to the gut. Gets on the mic. He says something about him being too violent for the USA. And fuck the USA. 
Then he proceeds to stomp Hunter Q. Robbins again and chases photographers around the ring, throwing a couple of them into the the steel girders. Outside. Are they girders? I don't remember what it was. What are those steel things they have around the ring to keep the fans back? Barriers. Yeah, those steel barriers. So what are your thoughts on that? Kevin Sullivan um, and that guy. I didn't like that match at all because that guy wasn't it. But then I woke up when he was just beating in the balls of a kid <laughs> vigorously for a very long time because it made me hurt. Yeah, that was like cringe. Because he just kept doing it. Over and over and over again. All right. Next up, we have the Singapore caning match. And I have written, uh, look up Michael Fay. Remember Michael Fay? He was the American that was oh, in Singapore. yes. Yes. That, what happened? He was vandalizing cars, cars. with a oh. student out there. Oh. Um, a little bit of theft. So he was sentenced to a year in jail or something. It's a cane. And then six strokes of a Singapore cane. Remember on the news, they showed a guy hitting well, a big si- piece of meat. In Singapore, they just call it a cane. What do we call it? Oh, <laughs> we call it a Singapore cane. They just call it a cane. Yeah. Okay. Michael Fay, he was an American that was, I believe he was over there for, his father was over there, I think I remember reading. So he was over there because he was young, right? He was 12 or 13 years old. I thought he was a little older, not like 15, 16. He was that young. But he ended up getting charged with all that. He had his sentence reduced after all this became like a big media frenzy about him getting caned. Yeah. So he ended up being sentenced to four months in prison and then four strokes of a cane so that's kind of where this stems from and that was in that had just happened 93 94 so why not let's uh take advantage of it it. paulie always likes to rip shit from the headlines this match actually is sandman with woman versus tommy cairo with peaches so last pay-per-view these two were partners and then the following weeks on tv the sandman he was blinded by water that the Rockin' Rebel threw in his face and hit Peaches by mistake. So the next week, he gave an interview showing no remorse for hitting her. He then came out to the ring against Chad Austin without a wetsuit for the first time. He had Zubaz pants on. He pins Austin in nine seconds and then continues to beat on him until Peaches comes out and tries to stop him. Sandman, he begins to become increasingly aggressive towards Peaches, kind of stalking her in the ring. Looks like he's about to hit her, which causes Tommy Cairo to come out. And the Sandman does the whole, like, Cairo tells him to back off. Sandman does the, okay, okay, leading, um, and then turns around. And as soon as Cairo's distracted, the Sandman hits him from behind. This was at, at a house show, so he leaves uh, Peaches and Cairo there. And then the Sandman, he started coming out in, like, a black and white filter, you know? Trying to look all cool. Not coming out to uh, Surfing USA anymore. And then they started showing these like really confusing ass like vignettes of Peaches like showing off her modeling career or whatever. It pretty much looked like those late night like 900 number commercials. Oh, 1-800. Are you lonely? Like that's what it looked like. It was kind of really creepy actually. So this apparently pissed the Sandman off. The Sandman was pissed at that, but he was also pissed at Cairo because he came out and saved his wife instead of him. That time, a uh, rebel threw water in his face, blinding him. Because you know how 
toxic water is. Every time I get in the shower, I don't like <laughs> But then again, this is Philly water, so I don't know. There might Philly? there might be a little more lead in it. What's wrong with the Philly water? Oh, it's the water know. of champions. It is? Oh, they are champions. I forgot. The world. Now, during his interviews, he keeps saying that Cairo is banging his wife and he's charging him money. Kind of like a pimp. He's saying uh, Cairo o- owes him for banging his wife. He uh, charged him 20 bucks to sleep with his wife. I'd say that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> what do you think? Cheap? There's nothing in the floor. Well, that's true. Uh, now, he also smokes on the way to the ring. Probably non-filtered. Doesn't drink beer yet. So that's what set up this match. The Singapore Kane part... Kind of just because Michael Fay just got caught with it. According to the last match, apparently Woman is the manager of record for the Sandman now as she walks out to the ring with him. They pass a sign that says, Whack the Fuzz off that peach. <laughs> you think that's a, a pretty clever sign? Let's see what they did there. <laughs> Cairo and Peaches come out. Um, they both have hard hats on. They're going to work. Yeah, is that supposed to like portray like he's a, a hard-working man? I think it's just to protect his head. Why does he wear it to the oh, ring, though? Uh, somebody putting up drywall that might drop a hammer from... <laughs> um, doing work on, on several stories high. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of reasons. I understand the concept of wearing a hard hat. Why does <laughs> oh, he wear yeah. a hard hat? <laughs> oh, shit. I believe that's uh, part of the building code. Yeah. Also, he works at a job that hits to the head. Why doesn't everyone wear a hard hat, then? He's just the only smart one. It's like back when... It's in Pennsylvania. It was before the helmet law, so it was, yeah. it was an option. <laughs> so the stipulation to this match is that the loser gets caned six times, even though Michael Fay only got caned four. Exchange rate? Yeah. Inflation. Sandman, he uh, keeps trying to steal the cane from the ref, which is funny, but Cairo hits him with a nice belly-to-belly times two. Cairo, kind of like a house of fire, comes out, hits a huge back body drop, and then they go to the outside, which Cairo proceeds to suplex the Sandman on the floor, and Joey Styles says, welcome to ECW, even though we're about 40 minutes into the pay-per-view at this point. Double axe handle from the top only gets a one count. What are your thoughts on kicking out at one? Why would you wait till two? That's what I'm saying. Rest a little bit. Yeah. You, so you disagree with kicking out at one? Yeah. You think you should get all the rest time you can mm-hmm. on the there. Okay. Just, I believe they call that strategy. <laughs> so Cairo then hits a butterfly suplex. Sandman, he uh, turns the tide. He's wearing his now trademarked Zubaz pants. And it looks like a cashmere sweater. So the Sandman cannot complain of being uncomfortable. You shouldn't. That's a classy sweater to be wrestling in. Yeah, I don't think he's got it quite figured out yet. Like, and it's 1994, you should be wearing, like, a like a hoodless sweatshirt. Yeah. like A, a gray hoodless sweatshirt. <laughs> so Sandman drops an elbow from the top rope, and then he hits that delayed pile driver, which looks like Cairo had real trouble getting up, and then his gut's hanging out. Oh, my God, it looked pretty terrible. Holds him up by his belt, or his jeans, and then pile drives him. Looks kind of cool once he gets it into motion, but it started off looking like crap. Cairo hits some power moves and some pins, which his last pin leads to a cat fight between Woman and Peaches. It's broken up by Cairo, 
um, in which Peaches then takes advantage and pins the Sandman, who was still knocked out by Cairo's DDT a couple minutes earlier. So I got a question here. This match was the Sandman versus Tommy Cairo. Mm-hmm. How did Peaches get the pin on Cairo? And it counts. Friendship. Friendship. Uh, do you think the ref used his like knowledge that he learned at the ECW wrestling school? The three thousand dollar education yeah, yeah. to uh, his advantage there. So the Sandman is uh, scheduled to get caned six times due to the stipulation. Let's see if that happens. So Cairo, he's holding the Sandman uh, bent over. Position. <laughs> yes. And then Peaches proceeds to pull down the Sandman's pants, exposing his butt cheeks. What? Which I am glad it was away from the camera. Low def. Yeah. There was, <laughs> it was behind the... You couldn't. The good thing there was no pin around, because that is not something I want to see. So he proceeds to lash him three times before woman ru- woman runs over and throws powder into Peach's face. So Top of course we, he doesn't get his six lashings. Fifty percent. Yeah. So is he still owed three canings, mm-hmm. according to slap that rules? Yeah. Lash. It's a continuous. It's a running total, if you will. Okay. That's honestly more than I thought he'd get, though. I thought they'd get one in, and then something would happen. Cairo begins to stalk woman, only to be low-blowed by the Sandman. Sandman then grabs the cane and blasts Tommy Cairo right in the face, busting him wide open. He hits uh, Peaches, and then woman proceeds to cane Peaches in the ass. So we got some good woman violence going on here. So Sandman starts uh, smoking a cigarette during this, and then he proceeds to ash on his wife, which was fucking hilarious. I loved and it. disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty degrading to uh That's like spitting on somebody. Yeah, that's not cool. Yeah. So Cairo, bloody as hell, carries Peaches to the back, and we have the end of the match. What are your thoughts on that? I liked how they made it relevant by like incorporating your, like, Current events. Yeah, at the time. At yeah. that time, current events. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and uh, violence, blood, women fighting. How can you go wrong? The same man, he's not even a good wrestler. And uh, you add blood and shtick. Sticks. So and not stick, shtick. <laughs> you can't go wrong, right? Good All right, so getting a little closer to the ECW. We're, that we're, we're zoning in. You're finding something that works. Anything else on that? I do not. Gary Wolf, the, the pit wolf. bull. Not the pit bull. Gary Wolf. Gary Wolf, pit bull. <laughs> Gary the pit bull wolf. Correct. Not Gary the wolf. 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 Gary the pit bull. Wolf. Not Gary the pit bull, pit bull. <laughs> Gary the pit bull, wolf. So do you think if his last name was pit bull, he'd be the wolf? Yeah. <laughs> Gary the wolf, pit bull? Yeah. <laughs> He comes out with Jason, and he is versus the Tasmaniac. When you mean Jason, you mean like the guy Jason, from the movies, the sexiest man on earth, Voorhees, not Voorhees. Okay. We start out. We got good old emo ref back in the ring, standing there, and then all of a sudden, nine one one comes out and choke slams him multiple times. I thought this was fucking hilarious. You? I chuckle at the tad bit. <laughs> 
Uh, the crowd continues to chant 911, but he had already come in and did the damage, so they should have chanted that prior, right? Uh, you're right. This this is too confusing. This 911 thing. <laughs> the the fans and the wrestler they got it all wrong. They just did everything wrong. Especially at like a place where there's a lot of violent stuff going around, where you would probably there's probably a good chance you're gonna need to call 911. <laughs> just not. Yeah. It's not a good emergency possible. Yeah, yeah, they're they didn't think that one through. All right, so Tasmaniac, he uh, bum rushes the ring, only to get attacked by the pit bull, and they immediately brawl to the outside. So they ended up heading all the way back to the snack bar, which I believe has been visited once every super card here. Although there, there's not really much going on there. I mean, I mean, they have nachos. Yeah, that's probably it, and a vending machine. RC Cola, Stafford Cup, and a fucking Charleston Chew. They have shaved ice though. Ooh, I don't know. Do we do like shaved ice? This is a uh, a fan poll. What are your cubed or shaved ice? Leave a uh, comment below. And if you say shaved ice, I will ban you from the podcast. Podcast. Did you just ban me? <laughs> <laughs> so. They end up back at ringside, beating each other pretty good with chairs. Some good chair shots in there. Pitbull, he hits a nice belly-to-belly. That seems to be the move of the night here. Fans are chanting Mikey to piss off the Pitbull, because this was actually originally billed as a title defense, but he had lost it the previous night to Mikey Whipwreck. And the reason this match kind of came about was when Jason was calling him Monkey Boy, Taz that is, and Taz attacked him, so that kind of stemmed this match. Pitbull, he does a couple chin locks, best holds, kind of tires out the crowd. This just gives a fan, the fans a chance to chant things. Is that the whole point of the rest hold? Is I believe to, it's to rest. <laughs> you hold somebody to get some rest? Oh, okay. So the Pitbull hits a nice like back fist kind of thing, and then does the karate thing. Which I believe you have to do that to qualify for a black belt, right? You have to be able to do that? No. Flail your arms and go, wah! No. No? Karate Kid didn't. No? Was he a black belt? Mm-hmm. He was? Eventually. I thought it was a white belt. By the, by the end of the second one. I didn't watch Karate Kid 2. What? Okay. That's where they go to Iwo Jima. Where they, the soldiers planting the flag in the ground? Well, that was many years before. <laughs> that was not during. The 80s. So that sculpture was not made during the eighties, <laughs> <laughs> when the Karate Kid was over there. They weren't planting the flag of the Karate Kid. No. <laughs> <laughs> Numerous chants at the Pitbull while he does his um, rest holds and karate shit. Pitbull distracts the ref as Jason works over the Tasmaniac, but it is not caught on camera. I don't get this though. Why would the Pitbull distract so? The manager could interfere. Like, the Pitbull is obviously more in shape and could do more damage. Why wouldn't Jason distract the ref and then the Pitbull do illegal tactics? Because it's the least thing that you expect. So what they're trying to do is, like... Throw you off. Like a shock and awe type of thing? Like, no, the last thing you'd expect. Uh, You'd expect that. Oh. Maybe the opposite. A little misdirection. Uh Like, play action. Okay. 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 So, the rope dope. 
Taz. Like an M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> We've got to work him in every episode. Taz hits a very nice belly-to-belly. Styles calls him a suplex machine, which we'll see in the future. We didn't have that type of technology yet. Yeah. Do we have a suplex machine no. yet? No? We still don't have one. No. Okay. So Taz gets up on the top rope, and the pitbull actually runs up the ropes and kicks him in the face, causing Taz to fall all the way to the floor, which looked pretty nasty. Kind of a cool bump there. Pipple with a back kick gets a little more karate hand gestures. Following this, uh, Pipple he misses a the, another backhand and gets uh, T-bone Tazplexed by Taz. Although it's not called a Tazplex yet, just called a T-bone. Awesome though, my favorite, one of my favorite moves, my favorite suplex. Definitely. Wow. Taz hits a nice belly to belly, and then Jason gets up on the apron to yell at the fans at ringside. Explain that logic to me. Well, is he is he like if you're higher up? Your voice will carry further. Oh, so he's like, okay. So he, it's just for more acoustics. Right, it's going to be stages. <laughs> okay. It's science. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Pitbull, he hits Taz with a chained fish fist punch. Why is that so hard to a say? A chained fishing pole? <laughs> a chained fist punch, which is your favorite move, I think. Which is where you wrap the chain around the fist and punch. And proceed to punch them in the face. This gets Pitbull the three count, and then the Pitbull carries Jason to the back, with Taz slowly trailing behind. So that's the Pitbull versus Taz. Got some good technical wrestling in there. Anything else on that match? I don't know. No. Some good suplexes, good quality technical match, but they can also go to the outside, so not too bad. Always enjoy watching Taz. Jason's stupid. Pitbull's okay. Big, beefy, thick, short guys, though. What's wrong with that? Nothing. I'm just saying. They're shorter guys, and they're beefy. And they're thick. Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Short guys are beautiful. Alright, next up, we have an eight-man elimination match. And I want to stress eight on that. (laughs) So this is Shane Douglas, the world champ. One. With Mr. Hughes. Two. And the tag team champs, the public enemy. Three and four. Versus J.T. Smith. Five. And the Bruise Brothers. Six, seven. And that's it. In this eight-man tag. Wait, what? <laughs> so, based on math, the match is billed incorrectly. Ref. <laughs> oh, shit. I forgot about him. The ref. Oh, eight. Got it. All right. So, first out, we have the franchise, Mr. Hughes, and the public enemy. The only thing I don't like, you got the heavyweight champion and the tag team champions in the same match on the same team. Obviously, they're not going to be defended. Douglas gets on the mic and says that Hawk has a bad knee and doesn't want an ass kicking the uh, hands of him. So then he somehow proceeds to call out Ric Flair. Why? I don't know. He's not there? No, but Shane Douglas has a bitter resentment towards Ric Flair. And has his whole life. He says Ric Flair held him down in WCW. Although he was, his gimmick was stupid and he couldn't talk on the mic yet. So he always blames Ric Flair for holding him down. And Ric Flair might have done things here and there. But, I mean, it's not so. Generally, people really enjoyed Ric Flair. Yeah, I know. So, I don't know. He's just got a personal vendetta against him for some reason. I don't know why. But he called him out and then proceeds to go, woo! Which is Ric Flair's trademark. J.T. Smith and the Bruise Brothers come out next. So apparently the Bruise Brothers are face. 
This match was originally stemmed from the March 22nd episode of Hardcore Television after Taz lost the title to J.T. Smith. So all eight men ended up in the ring, as well as Hawk, Sullivan, and Terry Funk. Public Enemy and the Bruise Brothers, they've been feuding for the past couple of months, so why not stick them in there? Shane Douglas also recently took over the rights to Mr. Hughes from Jason, and then why not put J.T. Smith in this match? I mean, he's been in every other match. <laughs> he was already out there. Yeah. Hughes and the Bruise Brothers are kind of connected, too, because they had a human cage match, which is basically just a lumberjack match. Human what? Human cage. Not cage. No. This match comes, it's kind of funny when JT Smith and the Bruce Brothers come out. Johnny Grunge is just like chilling in the front row, like sitting, and he attacks them from behind. It's pretty funny. He uh, brings that muscular dystrophy crutch with him, which is much like JT Smith has also been in almost every match. They all seven start to brawl in the entrance aisle, then cuts to like JT Smith throwing some uh, jabs, much like Sugar Ray on uh, Mr. Hughes. They get a. They do finally get into the ring. The heels, they do a lot of quadruple teaming in the corner with some quick tags. They get a black bruise. Is that his name? There's black and blue bruise, right? So they will say black in for a while. Hughes hits a nice drop kick, which I feel like if you're like fat and tall, like, or, well, if you're just fat, you hit a standing drop kick. Dusty Rhodes did it all the time. Uh, who was the one in the first one? Dick Murdoch did it, and then Sal Balomo always did it. So if you're over 300 and some bounds... You just lift your foot up again. <laughs> you do a standing drop. That's the first, the first move you learn in school. So the heels, pretty much all they do is whoever is in the ring, they just work over their knee. So it's a pretty sound strategy. It works every time. <laughs> you can't do things without knee, if you have no knee, or if you have a knee. That's how they say it in football. He's got a knee. He's got a knee. Lots of heel cheating. The faces... I don't get this. Like, they just get taunted by the heels, you know, and then they run into the ring causing a ref distraction. How come uh, faces are so dumb like that? It's their innocence. It's their, their heart. They're leading with their heart yeah. and not their brain. It's their innocence. They have yet to suffer. <laughs> um, they haven't experienced true loss. Ignorance is bliss. And um, they just see the world through rose-colored glasses. <laughs> Everything is rainbows and sunshine. Okay, that, that's a good explanation. Finally, after about 10 minutes of Black being in the ring, he finally tags out uh, to Blue, who comes in like a house of fire. My boy, Blue. Yeah. Blue, he tags in JT, who, believe it or not, gets clipped from behind in the knee, and then they begin to work over his knee. So, so JT Smith should be fucking stellar at selling his knee, because that's all he does every day his of his life. His knee doesn't have a knee <laughs> in it. It's just where knees. <laughs> There's just flaps of skin where yeah. there should be a kneecap in there and joint and cartilage and no. there's just crushed bone. Gravel. <laughs> There's gravel in between two bones. <laughs> JT he uh, does a backflip to sell. Like he gets kicked in the back of the leg and does a complete backflip, which something you should do if you have gra gravel knees. <laughs> I feel like that would take all the pressure off. Like if you could. If you're floating in the air for now? Yeah. <laughs> Be like underwater, you know, like you're weightless. The heels, they work over JT Smith's leg, like I said. Whoever's in there, they just worked over their knee. I, at this point, I was kind of wondering if they realized, like, this is an elimination match. Because it's an eight-man elimination they match. They start eliminating. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. It's been about a good 12, 
13 minutes at this mm-hmm. point. Grunge, Johnny Grunge, hits a splash from the top rope onto both of uh, Smith's legs, causing the Bruise Brothers to interfere. But after about 20 seconds, they just kindly return to their corner. <laughs> and don't finish the beating. Starting positions. <laughs> they just go back to... Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> JT, uh, he finally makes the hot tag to Black after Hughes misses very ginger-looking... Ginger? Gingerly? What's the... Is there like a present tense of gingerly? Is it ginger? A ginger headbutt. No, it's gingerly. A First gin- off, gingerly is an adverb. It describes a verb. It does not describe a headbutt. Headbutt is a noun. So how would you say he gingerly this? headbutt him? If you use headbutt as a verb. Ends, as a verb. Okay. He, but he's diving from the top rope, so it's a gingerly headbutt. <laughs> he he, ginger, he gingerly headbutt him from the top rope. There you go. But he missed it. After the he gingerly headbutts him, Mr. Hughes to J T Smith. That is, J T makes the hot tag to Black, who hits like a couple moves, then proceeds to tag in J T Smith again. Which Styles acknowledges that it, that makes absolutely no sense, which it doesn't, because Styles or Smith's legs just got destroyed for about five minutes previous to this. But it'll make sense in a minute. The Bruise Brothers. And Hughes and Douglas brawl out into the crowd. Within seconds, though, the public enemy comes in and shockingly take out JT's legs again. The Bruise Brothers, Hughes, and Douglas are all counted out, despite Black clearly tagging in JT Smith prior to them brawling to the outside. So how does that work? I feel like the legal man should be counted out, and then you start counting the second man out. If they're on the same team, like correct? a hierarchy of countdown. Yeah, so like you count the first person out, and then the Someone next else... person would become legal, right? And then you'd count them out, correct? That would make sense. Okay, I guess you could count two people from the opposing teams out, right. but there were still four people total brawling, so you'd have to count two of them out, and then consecutively count the other two out. If you're one ref, how do you count to ten simultaneously? Two people, if they don't start at the same time. <laughs> so one person would be like one and the other person would be five seconds. Right, you have to like... You need a fucking egg timer. Some watches. Yeah. <laughs> that that would be tough to count. But then I think when the next person comes out, you're not counting out the first person, you're counting out both of them. So the other no. thing you have to do this weekend is count to ten twice at the same time, but start one one second after the other one. Only one person can be legal. Unless it was like a Texas tornado match. But then there wouldn't be countouts. The system is flawed. Bruce Brothers, Hughes, Douglas, all counted out. 15 minutes. And we finally have an elimination in the match. Technically four. Half. But now we are left, well... Half of eight minus one. <laughs> that, what is that, like 62%? I don't know. So now we're left with JT Smith versus the public enemy. Um, the other four are still brawling outside but they're irrelevant now. So Grunge, again, hits that splash from the top rope onto JT's legs. And then the public enemy continues just to work over the knee of JT. They do a lot of uh, cabbage patching and window washing, which are two of the public Hottest enemies dance moves. at the time. Yeah. Correct. Rock, Rocko Rock, that is, puts JT Smith in a figure four, which oh. is painful. Grunge, Johnny Grunge, prevents... Like, if you you know how you roll it over, it kind of reverses the pressure. 
Mm-hmm. Johnny Gunn pre- prevents that twice, but on the third time, JT Smith gets it. Locks that song, bitch. Yeah. So Smith ends up pinning Rocco Rock with a roll up, eliminating him, and then Rocco Rock he stays at at ringside. Proceeds to hold JT Smith while Johnny Grunge runs into him and hits him. Johnny Grunge ends up missing, hits Rocco Rock, and then JT Smith rolls him up from behind, pinning him. So JT Smith is the sole survivor, as they would say at the Survivor Series, of this eight-man minus one elimination match. <laughs> so, <laughs> for me, this match went on way too long. No eliminations until about 15 minutes into it. But it did show. JT as like a super duper baby face, which he is. Um, the heels, their strategy was pretty much work over whoever was in the ring, work over their knee. It was very repetitive. Yeah. Like, and that's why the match was so long. They just filled it with the same thing over and over. <laughs> yeah, it was like on repeat. It was on a loop. Right. <laughs> All right. So now it's time for the main event. We have Sabu with Beautiful Bobby Eaton versus Terry Funk and Arn Anderson. Now, you might be asking yourself, what are Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson, two current WCW employees, doing in an ECW? I was asking myself that. Well, Steve OG. On the 19th of April, Sabu, he subbed for uh, injured Mr. Hughes against Terry Funk. In which, you know how Sabu's entrance, he's wheeled out by handlers. Well, he's wheeled out this time by three masked handlers. Who all eventually enter the ring, ending up costing Terry Funk the match. Funk, he begins to unmask all of them. Which the first two I don't think I recognize. But the final one was uh, unmasked by Paul Dangerously. And it was revealed to be beautiful Bobby Eaton from World Championship Wrestling. Hello. Yeah. So that was kind of a big pop there. So him and Sabu work over Terry Funk until you, they pan over and you see Arn Anderson standing at the entranceway. And Hello. He proceeds to go to the ring. And that honestly gets the biggest pop, I think, ever in ECW. Kind of how this came about, Paul Yee still kind of kept in touch with WCW. Most notably, I think, there was one person in particular he kept in touch with can't remember if it was like Missy Hyatt or somebody up in WCW. Actually, it might have been Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton. But WCW was holding Slambery 94 next week, and it was going to be at the Philadelphia Spectrum. So they kind of wanted to get some publicity prior to this. So Paul e, obviously taking the big names from WCW to get people to his show, and then ECW or WCW was able to kind of put their, their wrestlers out there to kind of get people to come to a WCW show that was next week. So they kind of worked together for like a mutual benefit. There was no real agreement. It it was kind of just like a verbal agreement. I guess originally Paulie wanted to use like stunning Steve Austin, but Eric Bischoff was having none of that. So And then Terry Funk would go on to be on Slambury 94 against Tully Blanchard in a Legends match. He would end up like busting open Dusty Rhodes <laughs> badly on that show, aka Gold Dust, who I think still wrestles, doesn't he? I think so. Yeah, that's crazy. He's getting old. Terry Funk still wrestles. He's like fucking eighty. 
So that's kind of how this match built up. Nice little, uh, get a little name so we'll get some butts in the seats. Mm-hmm. Sabu is wheeled out by 901 and beautiful Bobby. Paul E, he gets on the mic, introduces both. Well, actually introduces himself and then introduces them both. I kind of like his introduction where he's like, just in case you didn't know, my name is Paul E. Dangerously. That's kind of cool. I don't know. I like bringing it. I like the uh, theatrics and the spectacles. Funk and Anderson, they're the next to come out. Sabu's left hand is very heavily taped. It looks almost like the mitts we put on patients who are like crazy and picking at all their IVs and stuff. So they, they're not able, and people that hit, so you put these big mitts on them. Like lobster claws? Yeah. So I don't know what that's from, but Sabu's always hurting himself. So Sabu and Funk start, and they go immediately to the outside. Sabu is like in hyper speed to start this match off, like a flurry of offense. He tags in Eaton, and then him and Funk brawl to the outside. Sabu then ends up slamming Funk from the ring through a table on the outside, which was a pretty cool spot. Eaton and Sabu both use a chair on Funk, and then Sabu hits, like, the Air Sabu, which is his flying, like, knee hit (laughs) on Funk in the corner. (laughs) What? This causes Funk to do a face plant into the chair, which is, you know, how Funk's matches always turn into fucking hilarity. So this did it. Funk tags in Anderson, but that honestly didn't really get a pop. I thought that would be a big pop. Anderson needs Sabu in the balls, which is a great offensive maneuver, which proceeds, or this causes Sabu to tag in Eaton, but Funk ends up grabbing him from behind, and Anderson puts Eaton in the figure four, well, Funk brings in a shard, like, of that table he went through, which is, and he proceeds to pile drive Bobby Eaton through it, which looked pretty damn cool. So he, like, leaned it up against the bottom rope, and then pile drove Bobby Eaton through the shard of table. Which, anytime you break something during a wrestling move, it hurts tenfold. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Sabu drop kicks Anderson off of the top rope, causing Anderson to fall outside of the ring, which looked pretty nasty. Funk comes in and misses a moonsault as Eaton and Anderson brawl on the outside. Sabu comes in and then hits his own moonsault, but only gets a two count. Funk then, it looks like he was going for a power driver, but he hit a power bomb, which was pretty cool and unusual for Terry Funk. Only gets a two count. Funk does his uh, cool hangman's neckbreaker for two and a half. Hits a DDT. Funk, he falls to the outside, and Sabu does his flying somersault plancha on him but i believe sabu ended up hurting himself more on that i think he hit his like ankle off the what do we say those were barrier those steel barriers anderson then runs around with a chair and proceeds to hit eaton and sabu pretty stiffly with a chair so nice chair shot anderson and sabu they have a nice little exchange in the ring he, Sabu, that is, hits a sweet moonsault, only gets a two count. And then, or no, excuse me, he doesn't pin him. He tags in Eaton, who hits the Alabama Jam. You know what that is? I do not. Uh, that was the leg drop from the top rope. His trademark maneuver. Because, you know, in the 70s, anything off the top rope was devastating. Yeah. Funk, he uh, breaks up that two count after the Alabama Jam, and he is wearing like a shroud or something, like a coat. Someone's coat. He, or shawl. A windbreaker? <laughs> yeah, Eaton and Funk brawl 
all the way back to the entrance as Sabu hits his sweet Arabian moonsault onto Anderson. Do you know what that is? Where he like jumps up, kind of bounces off the rope and does a moonsault. Pretty sweet. Only gets a two count though. Anderson calls for the DDT where he does a what's that thing called? Round him up. <laughs> the round Let's him up. It. The round him up signal. Let's go. So hits the DDT, not once, not twice, but a third time. While Funk and Eaton actually end up on the eagle's nest next to Joey Styles, and then Funk proceeds to pile drive Eaton on the eagle's nest, which is fucking dangerous. Very. That's up there. It's like fifteen feet high. Which is a story and a half, correct? Is the story exactly 10 feet? Approximately. Arn Anderson then hits the best looking spine buster I've ever seen on Sabu. Love his, um, his spine buster. It's textbook. Then the camera pans over to see Funk getting worked over by the public enemy who came out of nowhere. So Anderson... Then literally, like, comes sliding like he's running out to save him, and he slips on the... There's probably beer and shit all over the floor, so he does a whoop and hits the public enemy with the chair. The public enemy then proceed to work over Arn Anderson. Sabu puts Funk in the Funk spinning toe hold, but of course, even if you're not Terry Funk, it still gets <laughs> reversed into a two count on Sabu. Apparently, at some point, when Funk was getting beat up by the public enemy, it looks like his knee area was busted open. So he like stopped. <laughs> so his um tights were ripped open, but I, I couldn't really see any blood. Sabu puts Funk in the spinning toe hold again, but it gets reversed again. Funk then hits Anderson with a chair by accident, like he was trying to hit Sabu, but he hit Arn Anderson. But then he does hit Sabu after that. Funk himself puts Sabu in his in his spinning toe hold, but he gets hit with a chair multiple times. Which Anderson, Arn Anderson, comes in and you think he's going to save Terry Funk because they're partners. But he pushes Sabu out of the way and then proceeds to batter his knees with the chair. Because he was pissed that Terry Funk hit him accidentally with the chair. So Sabu then puts Funk in a half crab to which Funk submits. Then Paulie dangerously gets into Funk's face. And Funk hilariously swings at him but not being able to hit him so that ends the match and that is the end of the wrestling portion of the pay-per-view what were your thoughts on the main event and the big names there uh it was nice to to see the cross uh promotional cross promotional mutual beneficial thing there it was nice to see like Arn Anderson and Eden using chairs and tables too, which is right. something you don't see in WCW not at the time. Not even close to it yet. Yeah, and if you go on to watch WCW after this at Slamboree, a lot of them would chant ECW and <laughs> what have you. So there are probably a lot of you can see a lot of the ECW fans that are there all the time. You can actually when we'll go on, we can actually we'll start recognizing ECW fans like mm -hmm. almost as much as the wrestlers. <laughs> Some of them were at the WCW show, like chanting ECW, and then Terry Funk versus Tully Blanchard and it and uh Dusty Rhodes ends up not Dusty, Dustin Rhodes ends up getting busted over pretty bad with Funk's uh branding iron. So you see a little of the hardcore element getting taken over to that way. It's always nice to see Funk and Anderson mixing up styles and they put on a good match yeah it was it was a good match yeah and then sabu like he continues to impress me like every 
show. Like, I didn't know he was, like, a good wrestler. All you think about when you see Sabu is him flying through the air and doing barbed wire and all his body scars mm -hmm. and all that shit. But he's actually a pretty sound wrestler at this point, anyway. And then Funk, you know, always his matches... Have some sort of shenanigans. Yeah, they're just funny. Like, he, he's a cartoon character. So, it's just funny seeing him. So, you have any other thoughts on that match? I do not. Alright, so we have... After this, we had a couple post-pay-per-view or post-supercard interviews. One was uh, Paul E. Shows him paying off uh, the public enemy. And then he continues to badmouth Funk, asking, Who is this man that just won't quit? And then it cuts to Terry Funk, who says, Who are we? Implying that he's got multiple personalities, I think. <laughs> but then he says, We are the Funk Brothers. So that's kind of a segue two things to come. And then they show a commercial for the next pay-per-view, which, do you know what the next one is? Yes. Next one is Hostile City Showdown, which I think we'll, we, we'll get into what ECW is in this pay-per-view. Taking, taking it to a new level here. Yeah. Uh, there's a big name that comes in that makes his debut on television. I think he did already. But we'll go into that on the next show. We had a, a new debut, um, actually a couple new debuts. Nine one one, his in ring debut versus Mikey Whipwreck. Uh, those they were both debuts. It was nice, like we were saying earlier, the use of the big names, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton. Uh, nice to see them kind of incorporate the hardcore style in with their normal Southern wrestling repertoire. And then the big uh, Sandman heel turn, the introduction of the Singapore cane, which would pretty much be a staple of the Sandman's offensive arsenal. arsenal. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a couple bad things I thought were only the TV title was defended, and you really couldn't call that a defense, because yeah, no. <laughs> it was a five-second match that <laughs> there was a disqualification retaining and then the other two champs were in the same tag match on the same team so <laughs> again a pet peeve of mine i feel like i don't know on a super card it's, it's a pay-per-view there yeah, should always be a, a world title defense yeah. or i guess or a heavyweight title defense at least that's just my personal opinion so what are your thoughts of the pay-per-view as a whole um okay matches what really kind of took the thunder out of it was that long seven and a half man <laughs> match that 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 fifteen twenty minutes where nothing happened other than just knee bashing like yeah. just kinda of took took you can you can even like see it in the crowd like they were just like alright. Where are the nachos? Yeah. <laughs> and it seems like it so far like in every pay per view we've watched there's been one of those. Um, yeah, just a long, boring ass match. Yeah. That guy again he on needs to be that guy that isn't there anymore. <laughs> that's what his new name yeah, is. Yeah, that's what it should be. Um, but yeah, you, you see the building. You see the building. Yeah, there's a and couple. The fact that they had, you know, those those two guys in WCW come down, it just like it, it drew a, it. Drew it's, the a, biggest... it's, a, it's a show that that their their product is becoming something. Yeah, that those guys would that wanted to use them. To be there, right? Yeah, and then it it obviously it drew the biggest audience at this point. You know, the big name. So it obviously their intentions worked. And then, yeah, you see, I mean, it, it, the match, it was a good, good, interesting match. Like, that one I didn't 
steer away from because sometimes with those traditional wrestlers they can kind of the matches can kind of drag but yeah. they kept my interest especially using chairs and tables which is just unusual for Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton usually the Singapore King that's the shit I love I'm more of the hardcore fan as were you I guess the Attitude Arrow is kind of your deal but it's just nice to see him starting to go in that direction you can see some of the characters that will be big names and what they're known for starting in this one like Mikey Whipwreck, he would always be like the underdog, and he definitely was in this one. And then the <laughs> Sandman and his trademark Singapore cane, and he's starting with the smoking, which would became. He hasn't quite gotten to the beer chugging yet. <laughs> yeah, all in all, I don't know. I say the good outweighed the bad. Yeah. That guy being there, I'm getting sick of him as well. The eight man tag definitely. Eight man <laughs> went on too long. Um, I believe Hawk is. This might have been another one where it was smoking crack again. Oops, <laughs> lost track of time. He lost track of weeks <laughs> in his cabin in the woods smoking crack. But all in all, I think it, it kept my interest. Easy to watch. It was only two hours, not even two hours. So we'll see when we get into the longer pay per views if they can hold it. So we'll see you the next next pay per view. Or Supercard, if you will. The Hostile City Showdown. And a couple more um, high names and a couple more hardcore matches. Sweet. So, check us out on Vimeo, YouTube. You can listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Check us out on Facebook. And if you want to help out, get some exclusive audio. You can check out our Patreon page, Extreme Wrestling Archive. Help us out with the costs. So join us next time as we reopen the Extreme Wrestling Archive.